you, but we're so thankful that you are here, and we're so thankful that your family is here, and we're thankful that Jesus is here, and we're thankful that Jesus is alive. He is alive. That's the celebration of today, that he is alive. I'm going to invite your attention this morning to the gospel according to Matthew, and we're going to read a few passages of Scripture, and it won't be a long time but it will be just a few verses to take us on a little journey in the last three chapters of this great gospel account Matthew chapter 26 and we'll begin reading verses 36 through 39 then we'll jump to chapter 27 and read a couple verses in chapter 28 and do the same Matthew 26 and verse 36 then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. Matthew chapter 28, beginning with the first verse. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, his raiment white as snow. For fear of him the keepers did shake, and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not, ye, for I know you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here. For he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. I want to speak to you for just a few moments on this beautiful Sunday morning on this subject, the cup, the cross, and the conqueror. The cup, the cross, and the conqueror. Can we lift up our voice unto God and ask his blessing upon the preaching of his word and upon this time we have in his presence. Lord, I thank you for your visitation, yea, habitation in this house. I thank you that you have come among us, O oh God, to let us feel the peace that passes understanding. I pray, Lord, that you will distribute that perfect love that casts out fear through the preaching of your word. Help us, I pray, to draw closer to you. Help us, I pray, to know you, Lord, in a way that we have never known you before. Help us, I pray, to be empowered by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for these things and we give you all praise. We ask for your anointing in Jesus' name. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. In his description of the U.S. Constitution, Benjamin Franklin was trying to help those to whom he was communicating understand that this was a document unlike the world had ever known in terms of human government. And he wanted them to understand the durability of this document. 
He said, it seems certain that this document will endure. Then he added this caveat to, to let us know that, that as certain as it may seem, it is possible that some would try to subvert it, and that's happening even as we speak. But he said to this end, he said, and yet there is nothing certain in life except death and taxes. And this was his way of letting us know that, that uh, you're going to have taxes just about in any institution that you find yourself governed by. There's going to be this, this tendency of the governors to, to increase the taxation of the people. And he's, he, was, he was kind of taking a shot at that tendency of human government. But to do so, he likened it to something as certain as he could imagine. And the certainty that he settled on, to use as a description, was the certainty of dying. He said dying is certain. Death is certain. It is something that every person certainly looks forward to, not in the sense that they desire it, but in the sense that they know it is coming. And the Bible says that we are all touched by the fear of death. And the fact that death is imminent is something that none of us can argue with. There is an imminence to death. Everywhere you look in society, we are surrounded by just the glimpses and the images and the inferences to the idea of dying. You walk into a grocery store, everything in that place is to help you not die. When you drive down the road and you pass large medical institutions and it's various parts of the body that are being treated by all of these institutions, they're all there to help you prevent death. The fact that there is shelter in the form of hotels and places of hospitality that, that avail their lodging to you for a price. And you, you go into those places at night as opposed to stay exposed to the elements. You do so because of the matter of living. It's so important. And to remain alive, you, you take shelter. Everything we do is an effort to stay alive. It's an effort to not die. The seatbelt you'll put on as you enter your car, all of the safety features, the, 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 the passenger uh, airbags and the driver's airbags, these are all in an effort to keep you from some accidental death because everybody knows that, that death is something that is certain in this life. The old two old boys that were talking about baseball, they were big baseball fans, and they had an argument about whether or not there was going to be baseball in heaven. And they said, man, I sure hope there's going to be baseball in heaven. And uh, one day one of them did pass on and, and uh, came back to his buddy and said, listen, I've got good news and bad news. He said, what's the good news? He said, the good news is there is baseball in heaven. He said, well, what's the bad news? Because that's great news. What's the bad news? He said, the bad news is you're pitching tomorrow morning. That's bad news. And it's just a fact of life that our time on earth is going to come to a conclusion. And we know that. We understand that. But I want to remind us today that it is not designed to be like that. It's not God's will that any should perish. It's not God's will that any should die. God wants us to have life. And that more abundantly. We should not know what an obituary is. We shouldn't know what a hearst is. We shouldn't know what a funeral or a funeral procession is. We, we shouldn't know what a mortuary is. We shouldn't know what a graveyard is or a tombstone. We, these are things that should all be very foreign to us because we were not made to die. We were made to live. But it is through the sin of man that death entered into the world. We have to know that. Sometimes we make the statement that, that we are, death is a natural part of life. And we need to add 
disqualifier to that. Death is a natural part of this life, of this fallen life. But there is in Jesus Christ life everlasting. Hallelujah. This is not a fairy tale. This is not some fable. This is not some fanciful story. This is the truth of God's word. In Jesus Christ, there is life everlasting. Death has been defeated. Death has been defeated. And as long as we live in this mortal body, we're going to contend with the realities of death in this fallen world but ladies and gentlemen there's coming a day that great getting up morning when all the saints shall rise when the roll is called up yonder I plan to be there hallelujah when this mortal shall put on immortality when this corruptible shall put on incorruption I plan to be a part of that great resurrection morning we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ today but the Bible calls that the first fruits of the resurrection because there's a greater resurrection coming. And it's not just Jesus who will rise from the dead, but it's all those who are in Christ, filled with his spirit, washed in his blood, that will rise with him. Can I just go ahead and jump to the conclusion of this whole matter, ladies and gentlemen? If that spirit that raised Christ up from the dead dwell in you, he shall quicken your mortal body and you shall rise from the dead. Hallelujah. That's why we're here today. We believe this. We have faith in this. And God confirms this in his word and through his power. And in his love for us. Hallelujah. And so we're talking today about three different matters related to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The cup, the cross, and the conqueror. And I, I, want to, I want to real quick just frame our understanding of the cross. Because our understanding of the cross is different than what the cross was before Jesus hung on one. If, if, if people of the ancient Roman days came in here and saw us with a cross in our lobby that had flowers draped over it and people were posing in front of it and smiling, they would be very confused by what was happening. It'd be like, it'd be like draping beautiful floral arrangement over an electric chair because it was the symbol of capital punishment in the ancient Roman Empire. And, and, and it was a terrifying sight. The symbol of the cross meant that death was imminent and it was going to be exacted and executed by the, by the, 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 the decree of Caesar and his government. And, and this symbol was an excruciating, terrible, terrifying death. People who died the death of the cross was a agonizing, excruciating, slow and tormenting, painful death. And just the sight of that cross would send fear into the hearts of all who saw it. And it's one of the reasons why they would do it publicly because they wanted anybody who opposed Caesar to know this is what happens to Caesar's opponents. This is what happens to people who disagree with their government. And, and they would nail people to the cross and they would hang people on the cross. And the act of torture and terror was, was, was something that you can't even fathom in a, in a modern civilization. But this is what was going on in the ancient Roman world. And yet when Jesus hung upon the cross, it changed the whole symbol of that cross. It no longer represents the terror that it once represented. It no longer represents the agonizing, excruciating pain that it once represented. Now it represents hope, love, joy, faith for tomorrow. We don't fear death anymore. We're not afraid of dying to live as Christ. And to die is gain. We have hope. It's a win-win situation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm preaching to people today who are in a win-win situation. 
God can heal you. God can quicken his healing power in your body today. If you're here with a sickness, I want you to know that there is healing power right now in the blood of Jesus Christ. I wonder if everybody who's ever been healed can begin to praise God for the healing. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you that power is resident in this place today. And he can heal your body. He can heal your mind. He can heal your soul. He can heal your family. He can heal your marriage. He can heal your finances. He can bring healing. There is healing in the power of Jesus Christ that is present in this place. But I will tell you this too, that if the Lord chooses that it is your time to go on to your reward when you are in Christ and Christ is in you, it's a win-win situation. We'll meet you in the morning just outside the eastern gate over there we're not afraid you'll be in the paradise of god you will rest in christ hallelujah and we will rejoice forevermore as kings and priests ruling and reigning with him if you don't know jesus today you ought to get to know jesus because there is joy weeping may endure for a night but joy cometh in the morning There is peace that passes understanding. And so this cross, this cross represents that. And and so you can imagine the shock in the disciples' minds when Jesus looks at them one day and says, any man that's going to follow me must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now those are three very important things to understand. He must deny himself take up his cross and follow me. Now there are a lot of people today who claim to be Jesus followers, but it's not just about following Jesus. It's also about denying oneself, taking up your cross and following Jesus. We've got a lot of Jesus followers, but not a lot of self-deniers. But you can't really follow Jesus unless you deny yourself. That means deny your opinion about what is and isn't truth. And let his word tell you what the truth is. That means deny your appetite for the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And let his desires replace your own desires. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. When you take up your cross... That reference by Jesus is a reference to the certainty of your death and mine. He is letting you know that you have a cross. I have a cross. You and I have a cross. You and I have an appointment at which we will die. The Bible said it is appointed unto man once to die. It is the certainty of this fallen life. And the only thing that will interrupt that is if Jesus returns while you are still living. And you would be listed in the number of those who are alive and remain. But if you are not listed in the number of those who are alive and remain, then you have and I have an appointment at which we will die in this mortal body. And Jesus said, I want you to take up the certainty of that death experience and I want you to follow me. I want you to to go where I'm leading because I know the way out of this thing. I'm going to tell you that no man knows the way out of death, hell, or the grave except Jesus the Messiah. That's why we praise him the way we praise him. Hallelujah. My wife and I were leaving a church parking lot at a place where we were ministering and and the pastor uh, came near us and rolled down the window and said, y'all just follow me. And I was so thankful to hear that because if I had tried to just go where I thought I should go, we would have never arrived at where we needed to arrive. Because when you try to figure it out on your own, you're not going to arrive at the desired destination. But Jesus has come alongside you on this day today, April 9th, 2023. 
He's rolling his window down. I wish somebody just rolled their window. You can tell what generation I'm from. You can tell. He's rolling that. I would to God somebody to roll your window down. He stands at the door and knocks. And if any man hear his voice, open to him. He's saying to you, you just follow me. Don't trust your own instincts. Don't follow your heart. I know every love song that was ever written in this world tells you to follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. You'll be lost. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He wants to show you the way. Can I tell somebody today? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Him. You want out of this death spiral? Follow Jesus. You want out of this crucifixion? Follow Jesus. You want out of this damnation and eternal death? Weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. If you want out of it, follow Jesus. And to follow Jesus... You must deny yourself. Take up your cross. Take up the certainty of your own death and follow Jesus. And say, I'm going to follow you, Lord. And Jesus comes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he tells his disciples to follow him. He said, follow me and pray with me. Wait with me. And as they go to this Garden of Gethsemane, he said, you wait here and I'm going to pray yonder and as he moves forward he didn't get very far and the weight of this moment came crashing down upon him and the bible says he fell on his face and when he fell on his face he cried out my father if it were possible could this cup pass from me now, this is an important statement this reference to the cup because this wasn't just a metaphor that Jesus was using. But the cup was, was symbolized throughout the Old Testament. The prophets described the cup. And they said that the cup was filled with the wrath of God. Isaiah called it a cup of trembling. He called it the cup of the Lord's fury. He said that there would be, that they, Israel would drink from the dregs of the cup of trembling. But Isaiah also explained that God would take the cup of trembling out of the hand of Israel. Jeremiah said that when the Lord told him to prophesy to Israel, that he was to let them know that he had taken the cup of the wine of God's fury and he had come to show them what they were about to drink that God's fury was going to be ingested by all of them because of their sins. And death was going to come and judgment was going to come. The prophet Habakkuk, the minor prophet Habakkuk, said that the cup of the Lord's right hand shall be turned unto thee. Shameful spewing shall be on thy glory. Zechariah said that all of Jerusalem would be made into a cup of Trembling, the psalmist said in Psalm 75 and verse 8, the psalmist said that in the hand of the Lord there is a cup and it is filled with the wrath and the indignation of God. There was, if you can imagine the visual that God was painting for Israel, there was in the hand of God a cup that was filled with his anger and his wrath and his indignation. And this wrath, anger, and indignation was not for people, but it was for sin. And, and, and you, you live in a world where they tell you there's no such thing as sin. You live in a world where they tell you that you can have your own truth. That you can just believe what you want to believe. And that that is going to be alright. That is a lie from the devil himself. 
That is the lie the devil told Eve in the Garden of Eden. That when you eat of the truth, you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And what he was telling her when he said knowing good and evil, he was letting her know you can decide what is good and evil. And I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. There is a good and there is an evil. And you don't get to decide what it is, and neither do I. The Lord tells us what is good. He tells us what is evil. He tells us what's right he tells us what's wrong he tells us what's truth he tells us what's error deny yourself take up the certainty of your own demise and follow Jesus and Jesus is in the garden saying oh God I I sense the nearness of this cup and you have to know that this was God manifest in human flesh but his he in that flesh in that moment was crying out to the deity of God. His divinity was, he was wrestling between flesh and spirit in this moment. And he was, he was looking for another possible way. Is there another way? Is there a way to do this without me having to take this cup? Because the cup of God's fury and wrath and indignation is boiling hot and running over it's acidic in nature it is toxic and it's a poisonous brew and and Jesus knows that he's going to have to take this cup this is why the crucifixion of Jesus was such a brutal display he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities it is referred to as a chastisement it is referred to as him being stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. We hid, as it were, our faces from him because he was, he was humiliated. And in his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He was led like a sheep before his shearers. He was dumb like a sheep, so opened he not his mouth. And the reason that he was so brutalized on that cross, even in the passage that we read in Matthew 27, it says that they, they created and prepared a crown of thorns and they just shoved it onto his head. And then they put a, they put a reed in his hand to mock him. That crown of thorns was to be his crown because he was the king of the Jews. And that reed in his hand was to symbolize his authority. They were mocking him saying he had no authority. And then they scoffed him by bowing down before him while he's in this humiliated state and saying, All hail the king of the Jews. And then they took the reed from his hand and they smote his head with the reed that was in his hand. And this brutal display, it's not fun to think about. It's not fun to talk about. It's not fun to sing about or see depicted. But this is the reality of what Jesus went through. And the, here's the real thing to consider. He didn't deserve any of it. This humiliating, excruciating death upon the cross was reserved for murderers it was reserved for the de most depraved of society. It was reserved for those who were the utter dregs of society, who were villainous and, and, and killers and hateful, and, and those who did torture to other people. And yet here is Jesus who never committed one sin. Here is Jesus who never had any transgression added to the account of his life. Here is Jesus there is no iniquity in him. Even Pilate the governor said of him, I find no fault in this man. There is no fault in Jesus. There is no error in Jesus. There is no sin in Jesus. There is no transgression in Jesus. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is what qualified him to take that cup that was coming to humanity. He says to us today, follow me. I'm going to take the cup that all of you have coming your direction. 
I want you to hear me good and well today. I wish I could just talk about flowers and birds and butterflies and bumblebees and all the beautiful things of spring. But I've come to tell somebody today, there is a cup of indignation. There is a cup of wrath. God does hate sin. Contrary to what your news outlet tells you, God does hate sin. Contrary to what the educational system is telling people, God does hate sin. And I'll tell you why he hates it. It's not because he's a hater. He hates sin because sin separates you from him. God hates sin because he loves you. And you can't be with him if you've got sin in your life. So God comes down into your kind of a body and my kind of a body and says, I'm going to take their penalty. I'm going to take their shame. I'm going to take the consequences they have coming. Follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. When he's on that cross and thorns are on his head and blood is filling his face, that is the cup of God's wrath being poured out upon him. When he's on that cross and his back is bloodied with stripes, that is, that is the cup of God's anger that has been poured out upon him. When he's on that cross and a spear is shoved into his side and blood and water flows, that is the cup of God's wrath that is placed upon him. This is why the Bible says something almost cryptic. It says that it pleased the Father to bruise him. It pleased the Father to bruise him. You know why it pleased the Father to bruise him? It pleased the Father to bruise him because that was the Father in flesh. And he would rather take the penalty himself than for you and I to have to take that penalty. So yes, it pleased the Father to bruise him. Ladies and gentlemen, he laid on him the iniquity of us all. Your iniquity was upon Jesus when he went to the cross. Your addiction was upon Jesus when he went to the cross. Your sin, the violence you did to someone else, it's on Jesus when he went to the cross. Your hatred, your malice, your anger, your envy, your lust, your rotten behavior is upon Jesus when he goes to the cross. When you look upon a brutalized Christ, you are looking at your sins upon that cross. He didn't just go there for our sin. He became our sin. The scripture said he was tempted in all points as we are tempted. And yet without sin. I just want to know, is there anybody here who has ever committed sin before? Raise those hands. I'm not looking. You better raise those hands. I'm not looking, but I got both hands raised. You want to know why? Because all have sinned and all have come short of the glory of God. But he, he was tempted in all points as you and I are tempted. But he was without sin. I want you to know he was tempted to lie, but he never lied. He was tempted to envy, but he never envied. He was tempted to fornicate, but he never fornicated. He was tempted, oh, hear what I'm preaching. He was tempted to hate, but he never hated. He was tempted to do violence, but he did no violence. He was tempted in all points as we are tempted but he was without sin and by that he was qualified to take your sin to an old rugged cross God became a man and he took that body he was in to the cross and did everything to that body that he wants to do to sin. This is why you should rejoice when you sing about the blood of Jesus. This is why you should shout with acclamations of joy when you think about the blood of Jesus. There's an old song that says, when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he has done for me, my soul, my soul, something down deep inside my soul begins to cry out, hallelujah. Ha! That's why 
That's why somebody can be an introvert, shy and backward, not wanting to be seen by others. But when they think of the goodness of Jesus, something down deep on the inside pushes back their introversion, pushes past their shyness and their backwardness. And from the depth of who they are, they cry, Hallelujah! Thank God for saving me! Thank God for saving me! You hear what I'm telling you? That is the Lamb's life. And that death is a part of the Lamb's life. And that is recorded in the Lamb's book of life. Now there's a Joel's book of life as well. And both books will be present at the day of judgment. Joel's book of life is all the stuff I've done. And all the stuff I've said. And all the people I've hurt. And all the mistakes I've made. And all of my misdeeds. And all of my treachery. And all of my vile behavior. It's all in the Joel's book of life. And that's the book that I'm going to be judged by. And if I'm judged by that book, I'm going straight to hell. But there is another book. And it's the Lamb's book of life. And if my name is in that book, then that's the book I'm going to be judged by. You better believe I thank God for the blood. You better believe I rejoice in the God of my salvation. You better believe, you better believe today don't you leave without having your name written in the Lamb's book of life. Let me make it plain to you. Don't leave without repenting of your sins. Don't leave without being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's where your sins are washed away in the blood of that lamb. Don't leave without receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. And you will speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. Have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. Hallelujah, because that lamb, when he went to the cross, he went with no sin, no transgression, no iniquity, no vile behavior, no deceitful behavior. There was no guile in him. There was no pride in him. There was no ulterior motive in him. There was no false teaching in him. There was no heresy in him. And he went to that cross. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He took our sins and he was nailed to the old rugged cross. And when he was nailed to that cross, my sins were nailed to that cross. And all of the statutes of the old law that I could not live up to, the handwriting of ordinances, those things that God had to put in place because people were without the governance of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says that they are nailed to the cross and that old law is fulfilled and there is a new covenant and that new covenant is ushered in by the blood of Jesus Christ. And now I am made free because he has made me free. And I am not saved by the works of my own righteousness, but I am saved by the works of his righteousness. And he empowers me through his Holy Spirit to live above sin, to walk triumphantly through this world. Hallelujah. Trampling on the lion, trampling on the adder. There is no weapon formed against me that can prosper. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. If God be for me, who can be against me? I'm in a new covenant now. And it is solidified by the unshakable, unwavering righteousness of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's what happened at that cross. That was the cup that he drank. That was the cross he died on. And when he went into that grave, he went into that grave different than anybody had ever gone into that grave. Nobody had ever gone into that grave the way Jesus went into that grave. 
every other person that went into that grave, Brother Desmond, when they went into that grave, they went into that grave with sin in their body. They had been tempted and they had fallen to that temptation. But when Jesus went into that grave, death had never dealt with anybody like Jesus before. There was no sin. There was no transgression. There was no point of entry at which iniquity had entered the pure and holy and innocent and blameless and righteous body of Jesus Christ. And death is examining this body saying, I don't know what to do with this body because the thing that gives us jurisdiction over a human body is the sin that human body has committed. That's why all of us, should the Lord tarry, we're going to die because we have sin in our natural body. But when Jesus died, there was no sin in that natural body so when he goes down into the grave death can't find the transaction of transgression that gives him authority over this body I can just imagine death looking at hell and hell looking at the grave saying what are we going to do with a body that has no sin what are we going to do with an innocent human body because we only have jurisdiction over sin rid bodies and I can imagine death saying there's only one thing we can do we gotta let it go up from the grave hero you hear what I'm telling you heroes in glory with all power and authority my enemies and put them under my feet <laughs> glory brother Enos when I repent of my sins I am turning from the thing that gives death jurisdiction over me and when I'm baptized in Jesus name the thing that gives death jurisdiction over me sin is washed away now I am baptized into the name of Jesus Christ, which means I'm baptized into his body. You know, the body that has no sin in it. You know, the body that death can't hold. You know, the body that death has no power over. I'm baptized into that body. That is a resurrected body. When I'm filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, that spirit that raised Christ from the dead, when it lives in me, he shall quicken my body to be immortal with Christ. So don't you weep for me when I'm gone. Just a few more weary days and then I'll fly away. To a land where joy shall never end. I'll fly away. I'll fly away, oh glory. I'll fly away. Hallelujah. When I die, when I die, when I die, hallelujah, hallelujah, by and by, I'm going to fly away. Because Jesus has conquered the thing that nobody could conquer. Nobody could conquer death. Nobody could conquer hell. Nobody could conquer the vice grip of the grave. But Jesus came up from the grave. Hallelujah. Brother Sizemore, he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. Those apostles that witnessed his resurrection, they were 
he was already ascended on high, had already poured out his spirit. They are filled with the Holy Ghost. They went all over the world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then they were told, recant it or we'll boil you in oil. You say it's not so or we'll hang you upside down. You say it's not so or we'll cut your head off. And they said, we can't lie. We saw him. We put our hands in his scarf. He's alive. He rose from the dead. You're going to have to chop my head off. I saw him. I saw him. He's alive. They were called eyewitnesses of his majesty, which is why they were capable of writing the New Testament. We today are witnesses unto him. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. I spoke to him this morning. He gave me peace like a river. When my eyes filled with tears, I called on his name. He gave me joy. He gave me peace. He gave me hope. He gave me love. He's alive. I wonder if the witnesses could give him praise today. Come on, I need the witnesses to give him praise. He's alive. He's alive. Oh, somebody clap your hands under him. Somebody stand with me. Could you stand with me in this house? With uplifted hands and uplifted hearts. I want you to praise the Lord who is alive forevermore. Who is alive forevermore. <laughs> Hallelujah. I don't know why Jesus loved me. I don't know why he cared. I don't know why he sacrificed his life. Oh, but I'm glad, so glad he did. <laughs> I don't know why Jesus loves me. I don't know why he cares. I don't know why. He sacrificed his life, oh, but I'm glad, so glad he did. Come on, lift your hands and say it with me. I don't know why Jesus loves me. Oh, I don't know why he can.
If there's somebody here today who's just thankful and grateful, I want you to come to the front of this house right now and say, Lord, I don't know why you did it, but I'm glad you did it. I wonder if there's somebody who's never repented of their sins that God would lead you right now in Jesus' name to say, I'm turning away from sin. I don't want death to have jurisdiction over me. in the name of Jesus Christ I want to invite you to be baptized in Jesus name this is the symbol of the new covenant the circumcision of the heart this is the new covenant circumcision the old covenant circumcision is passed away but the new covenant the new covenant is the circumcision of the heart it's when you repent of your sins and say, Lord, I want nothing to do with that lifestyle I used to live. I'm denying myself. I'm taking up my cross, and I'm following you. You can follow Jesus 
He'll lead you out of the mess you find yourself in. You can follow Jesus. He will lead you out of the pain. He will lead you out of the shame. He will lead you out of the bondage. The chains of bondage that you find yourself in today. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, we've got a baptistry ready for you to go down in the name of Jesus. We've been baptizing people every Sunday. Make this the greatest Easter Sunday you've ever experienced. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, come on, let's give God praise. Let's give God praise. Come forward if you'd like to be baptized in Jesus name come forward in the name of the Lord I don't